0: Thanks for checking out this message from River Valley Church in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you. For more messages like this, make sure to check out our podcast. And for more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. In the immortal words of some of the most amazing men who ever lived, feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme, get on up it's new series time. See what I did there? See what I did? Oh, no. Oh, come on. Cool Runnings fans? All right. There you are. There you are. All right. Uh, Yeah, you get to hear more about them next week. All right. We are starting a new series, and uh, we are going to be talking about the rhythms and the pace of life. This series was actually one that we kicked off Um, last summer. Last summer we did a series based off of the Ten Commandments and there was one of them where we talked about the principle of rest and we talked about the commandment of Sabbath. And what was really cool is as we talked about this, this provoked a lot of really good conversation. There was a lot of conversation back and forth about, you know, hey, taking a Sabbath is right up there with do not murder but I don't have that I don't do that does that mean I'm following that commandment like God elevates those to the same place what does this look like and there was so much interaction around this that we said you know what we're going to do a series on that principle and we're going to spend 4 weeks talking about rhythms talking about pace of life talking about rest and uh, and so that's what we're going to be doing over these next four weeks. I'm going to kick it off today talking about pace. Uh, Next two weeks, uh, Pastor Tim is going to be talking about rest. He's also going to be talking about managing your your calendar and your life and all this kind of stuff. And then The fourth week, we have a special guest. My dad is going to be here, and uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome, and he's going to talk about and conclude the series talking about seasons, and how to identify the season you're in, and more importantly, what is the Holy Spirit doing in each season of our life, and how to be ready to receive the most from what he wants to do in that season. How many of you know that God does as much in a winter season as he does in a spring season? So we're going to talk about that. It's going to be a lot of fun. So that's a little bit of the sneak peek of what's to come. And I just want to say this. Um, We have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. We have a problem. And the problem is that we live and function at a pace that is burning us out. It's driving us to death. I work uh, from Starbucks quite often, and I was at Starbucks the other day, and I never noticed this before, but there's the screen that actually has all the cars that come through the drive-thru, right? So anytime a car comes in, there's a countdown clock that goes on the screen, and their job is to get you your beautiful cup of coffee in a certain allotted amount of time. If not, the screen goes red. Does anybody take a guess at how long that was. I had some time, so I watched it. Um, How long it is before the screen goes red? Anybody? One minute? Two minutes? Who said 10 minutes? Somebody said, Terry said 10 minutes. Wow. If this was price was right, I think Trey would get the, would win on this. 50 seconds. Meaning from the time that you pull into the line at Starbucks and they take your order, they have 50 seconds or else they're wasting your life. (laughs) My thought is, if you don't have longer than 50 seconds to stop and get a cup of coffee, you have a problem. Right? We have this problem. It's driving us crazy. Uh, Job mentioned it this way in, in the book of Job. He says this. He says, my days fly by faster than a runner. They flee without seeing any good. They sweep by like boats made of papyrus. Those are paper boats. They're like an eagle swooping down on its prey. Job says, I just can't do it. Life moves so fast. If you ever want a real-life example of this, you just look at pictures that are taken at different lengths of time. This is a picture of my kiddos because they're so cute. And uh, on the left-hand side was when, right after my son was born about three years ago, three and a half, and just to the right was this last winter. So if that doesn't make you feel old, what well, will. But, but looking at pictures gives a really, really good comparison of how fast life goes. Do you ever feel that you are a bystander to your own life? You ever you ever feel like you're just sitting there and you're watching it all go by? Like, what in the world? No, no control over the pace of everything, right? And it's just going so fast that it runs you over or leaves you in the dust. <laughs> that was my life. <laughs> Left without me, right? This is a reality, and it's because of the pace at which we live life. The result of the pace that we live in is that we function at an unhealthy, unbiblical, and unnatural way. We were not actually created to run at the pace that we do. Did you know that? That the way that God made you, when he crafted and when he formed the human body and the being, he did not design you to run at the pace that we run at today. It's just a thought to consider about this whole thing. This affects every part of life. I read this article the other day um, about workplace and about the, the pace of the workplace, and it says this, looking busy is now a status symbol at work, experts say. It's the new badge of honor, says executive coach Mark Dorio. If you're not busy, you're not seen as being important. Called a career founder, Cheryl Palmer, adds that in many workplaces there is a push to appear busy all the time, with the issue being not so much how much you actually produce, but that you have many irons in the fire, or at least appear to. And sometimes, she added, that kind of behavior gets rewarded by promotions. If you look busy, you get a raise. What? Or, at the very least, it gets rewarded by someone avoiding the pink slip. This is the pace at which we run in, in our workplaces. What about families? Families are running harder and faster than they've ever done before. Because not only do you have all the parts of, of being a family, but you have all this stuff, these, all these extracurricular things. You know, you have sports, and you have music lessons, and pottery, and dance, etc. And, and it just fills up. Before you know it, every night of the week is full and your whole weekend. And it drives our families nuts and starts to rip families apart. And if that wasn't enough, we have this thing called the pursuit of the American dream, the pursuit of happiness, right? And so we burn ourselves out trying to get them money, trying to get possessions for experiences. All of this stuff which those are not bad in of themselves, but what happens is we we live in an unbalanced way that drives ourselves dead in trying to attain the American dream. Have you ever have you ever said about your life, I just want out. <laughs> like this is not worth it. This is crazy, right? I just want out. I just want to push pause and stand there and breathe for a second, right? I love camping because camping reminds me of this. If you go far enough where there's no reception, you literally are out there, and you have no control over anything, and it's an opportunity to stop and just be like, oh, this is what it means to breathe. Oh, oh, I forgot, right? We live at a really unhealthy pace. Well, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we have a different invitation, And it's not even just an invitation, it's a different responsibility, and it's actually not even just a responsibility, but it's a commandment. To live life differently. To find a different pace. Paul writes about this in Romans 12 verse 2, and he says, do not be conformed any longer to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What he's saying this is there's a way that the world functions, and you can either adopt that mentality, you can either adopt that lifestyle, or you can allow the Holy Spirit to transform you and renew your life to a different pace, a different way of living life that you were actually created for in the beginning. This is part of what Paul talks about when he says to be in the world but not of the world, Right? You can't control whether you live here on planet Earth, but you can control what that looks like. And so Christ invites us to understand a different pace. So this is our prayer during this series. And uh, you're going to see this scripture a lot. This, This scripture, you can put this up, 1 Kings 8. Um, this is, uh, Solomon just got done with the temple, he's dedicating the temple, he gets to the very end, and uh, this is the, the benediction prayer that he's praying over the Israelites as they're dedicating the temple, and this is what he says, and this is our prayer for the series. It says this, blessed be God who has given peace to his people Israel just as he said he'd do. Not one of those good and wonderful words that he spoke through Moses has misfired, May God, our very own God, continue to be with us just as he was with our ancestors. May he never give up and walk out on us. May he keep us centered and devoted to him, following the life path he has cleared, watching the signposts, walking out the pace and rhythms that he has laid down for our ancestors. Our prayer in this series is, God, help us to follow your rhythms and your pace for life. We're not just looking for a different way to do things. This series is not just about saying, well, I've tried this, so therefore I'm going to try this. It's about saying, no, I want the pace of my life, the rhythm of my life to follow Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's where we're going. Now, um, I love music. Uh, I was classically piano trained for 15 years, and I actually went to college for uh, music. I, I absolutely love it. I was one of those guys that didn't do sports, um, and you can all thank me for that. <laughs> um, just trust me, trust me on this one. Uh, but I did music, and I put my, my heart into music, and I love music. I had a couple of buddies um, in college, and th- this is going to be real revealing, but hey, why not? Um, that we would do these things called listening parties where we'd sit down and listen to classical music. And as we listen to classical music, we'd try to identify the composer based off of the music. Because every composer, every, every uh, classical composer has their little tells, has their motifs and the little nuances that they write into their music, and so we'd sit around and figure this out. This was not all the time. Before you all just judge me, this was not all the time, this was not like every Friday night, we sat around and listened to Vivaldi, you know, Tchaikovsky, wow, no, it wasn't like that, but we did it every once in a while. I can't do it anymore, so don't even try me, but... It was fun at at one time. Uh, But one thing I learned about music is that rhythm is really, really important in music. Not only knowing rhythm, but following rhythm. (laughs) It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to actually play according to it. Uh, The Encyclopedia Britannica describes rhythm as this. Anybody have an Encyclopedia Britannica anymore? Me either. I googled it. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Rhythm is music's pattern in time. Whatever other elements a given piece of music may have, listen to this, rhythm is the one indispensable element of all music. Or rhythm can, uh, is the one indispensable element of all life. I just want you to take this into your world. I'm going to use music to talk about our lives here for just a little bit, if you haven't picked up already, because you're really smart people. Rhythm can exist without melody. This is really cool. But melody cannot exist without rhythm. Your life cannot exist outside of some sort of rhythm that you attach it to. The choice is what kind of a rhythm is that going to be. Rhythm holds music together. Without it, music doesn't work. My daughter is taking piano lessons, and, uh, and she's getting really good. I'm so proud of her. But she's learning her rhythm. And she brings home songs now that I know. So, like the other day, she brought home Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And I'm like, you know, you know the song Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Front room where the piano is Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, how I wonder. I'm like in the living room, like rhythm for the love, rhythm. You know, like. But she's learning, right? And she's understanding what rhythm is. Before she knows, Dad, I've never heard this song before. No, that you have. You have. have to, I'll go back there and I'll play it for her with the correct rhythm. Oh, oh, I get it. I get it. Rhythm is really, really important. Um, in music, different musicians, when they play together, they come together in an orchestra. And an orchestra is where all these skilled instruments and all these skilled musicians, they come together to form one voice. But what's really important is that all of those musicians are all playing on the same pace. Wouldn't you agree? Otherwise, well, nobody would go, right? At the centrality, at the central part of the idea of the orchestra is the conductor. here's what's really cool about the conductor. Is because the conductor sets the pace for the orchestra. Okay, so I'm going somewhere. Conductor, big C conductor, right? Uh huh. The conductor sets the pace. He's the one who knows the nuances of the music. He's also the one that tells them when to accelerando and retardando, right? He's the one who guides them through. And the other thing that's really cool is the conductor sees the whole picture of music. This is uh, a conductor's score for Let the Good Times Roll. Great tune. Everyone's quiet. It's Ray Charles. (sighs) This is the conductor store for uh, for this. Now, you're going to notice something really interesting about a conductor score. On the left-hand side, you have indicated every instrument of that particular orchestra. So what you can see is the conductor sees the entire piece of music, and how all of the individual people work together to form a symphony. He sees that. The instruments don't have this music, but he sees the entire thing, and because he sees the entire thing, he sets a pace that he knows the orchestra can follow at, And here's, here's, flip it on the other end, this is the individual instrument, this is trumpet one, this is the trumpet one section of the same song. Notice how it's way simpler. There's a lot less going on. Why? Because the only thing that the trumpet is looking at is their part. They are focused on their part, where the conductor sees the whole. But the important thing is that these individual parts, in order for them to work together, they have to match the pace of the conductor. Okay? Here's where it applies. You and I cannot exist in God's symphony at our own pace. Think about that for a second. You are not going to show up playing your instrument at a totally different pace than the conductor has set. You know what happens to musicians that play at the wrong pace than, than everybody else? They're looking for a new job. Right? We have to align ourselves with the pace of the conductor. Now to illustrate this further, imagine if every member of the orchestra now, instead of listening to the conductor, had headphones in and they had it plugged into a metronome and all of these metronomes were set at a little bit of a different tempo, man, that would be painful to listen to, right? That would just be, that would just be terrible. And here's the takeaway, is that the pace of your life will either match the pace of the conductor or the metronome of the world. You get to pick, but you can't do both. Because here's the thing that I understand about music, playing with metronomes and playing worship teams, it's it's an amazing um, uh, uh, view into this. The conductor and the metronome may sound pretty similar for just a little bit. But as soon as the conductor starts to lean in, and starts to bring the band up a little faster or slow them down that metronome gets way off. So the question becomes where are you getting your pace? Is your pace coming from the conductor? Big C conductor? Or is your pace coming from the world? Now. The piece of this that makes it really, really tricky in following the conductor is this little thing called trust. Because essentially what you're saying is, when I follow the conductor, I'm trusting that he sees the whole picture. I'm trusting that the music he's looking at has the entire picture to it, and so I'm trusting that the pace he sets is the one I need to do versus me having it all in my hands and having complete control and following some sort of other rhythm. You guys getting this? Getting this this picture back and forth? So, do you trust the conductor's pace? Do you trust the Lord's pace? Do you trust what he has set up in his word? Isaiah 40 has this beautiful passage, where it, and we know it really well, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. The, the word trust there, if you look in the Greek, means a binding or a twisting together. Are you bound to the conductor? Are you so intertwined like a piece of rope that when the conductor moves one second, you are right there with him? You don't miss a beat because you're locked into the pace that the conductor sets. Now, the conductor who orchestrates our life and now I'm going to pull it back to Bible here. don't worry, I'm not going to spend the whole time going on this. I could, but I'm not. Pulling it back to the Bible, this is the invitation of the conductor. This is the invitation of the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus. This is what it says, Matthew 11. Are you tired? (laughs) Anybody? Anybody want to take that one? Okay. Are you worn out? Anybody? Yes. Are you burned out on religion, right? Like, oh, this thing that all these rules and and complicated. Are you burned out on it? Come This is the invitation of Jesus. You can do it on your own, and you're going to get tired. You're going to get burned out. You're going to get worn out on everything of the world. Or you can come to me, and I will show you a different way of life. I will show you a different rhythm. As followers of Jesus, we get our rhythm and our pace from one person. For the remainder of our time today, I want to, I want to walk through what the rhythm of Jesus looked like. Because we get our cue from him, how he lived. And, and when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus beautifully laid out how to have a pace for life that is right, and is actually the biblical pace for life. I'm going to give you four things. These are in your notes, so you can write them down as we go. The first one is this: is that Jesus was kingdom-focused. He was kingdom-focused. He was not after trying to match the fast-paced, self-seeking, self-medicating lifestyle and culture and world that was around him. He, he wasn't about that. He lived a completely different life, and his priorities for life, which we're going to talk about here in a couple of weeks, priorities for life were completely different than the world in which he lived in. You could see this as early as back as when he was 12 years old, right? 12 years old, what happened? His parents lost him unbelievable. Like, but this is the crazy thing. For like three days, they lost Jesus for three days. He's the one and only begotten son. You don't get a do-over, like, (laughs) for real, right? And at the end of that time, what'd they do? So Mary and Joseph, they finally found him in the temple, and and, in the Bible, we get this, you know, picture of Virgin Mary, you know, coming out. Hey, why, why, why have you troubled us, Jesus? No, I think she was all up in his business. What are you doing? You're giving me a heart attack. You're giving your mother a heart attack here, right? Anyway, that's my paraphrase of the Bible, <clears throat> because um, that's what my mom would have done. <clears throat> but what did Jesus respond? Well, don't you know I had to be in my father's house? Like, it was like a given. Like, I got I to be here. This is where I'm supposed to be. His priorities were very different. He lived with a focus, to where he was going, and he challenged everybody around him to live with that same focus. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians when he likens our spiritual journey to a race. And he says in that that spiritual that spiritual journey that you run to win, and the way that you do that, the NLT says it this way, is with purpose in every step. I read some stuff about Usain Bolt, who still holds the world record, And he knows exactly how many steps he will take from the starting block to the finish line. He knows exactly how many breaths he has to breathe. He knows the pace at which he has to run. Every movement that he makes, you like this? This gives you a vision of Usain Bolt. We're just like each other. Um, (laughs) Every step was on purpose. Every step. That Jesus walked was on purpose. Nothing that Jesus did was accidental. He didn't wake up one morning going, "Yeah, no, what, what am I going to do today? I guess we could go out and catch some fish." I don't. No, there was purpose in everything He did. Not only that, but He was focused. But He was also kingdom focused. He was kingdom focus. From the time that he was born to the time that he died, he had one focus, and that was the cross. He was headed for one place, which was to bring glory to his Father by dying on the cross, fulfilling prophecies, fulfilling the plan that God had. That was his entire purpose. In, uh, in Luke 9, it says this, that when he was getting ready to enter into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry and Passion Week and all this, it says that when the days were coming to a close, for him to be taken up, meaning ascend back up to heaven, he determined, the Greek there is he stiffened his face towards Jerusalem. He had laser focus on what he was doing. And he didn't just have random laser, laser focus. He had it on specific things, which is the kingdom of heaven. Now, here is where the tension is for us. Because we have two warring kingdoms. We have the culture of the world, and we have the kingdom of heaven. And these, thing, these two things do not like each other at all, right? And these things are constantly warring. Jesus talked about this all the time. The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and one of the most concentrated places that he talks about this is on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he lays out what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Now, I'm going to put a slide up here, and I don't want you to get overwhelmed, so just bear with me. But here, here's the slide, okay? The kingdom of heaven. In those chapters, what I did is I kind of consolidated some of the topics with the verses that go with them. These are the things that Jesus talked about that the kingdom of heaven is. Okay. Now I want you to just to kind of read through them. I've also put them on your notes. They're in new version so you can take them away, you can process through these, you can walk through these. But these are the things that he said are the attributes of the kingdom of heaven. Meaning, if you are kingdom of heaven minded, if your goal and your focus is the kingdom of heaven, this is what your life will look like. Now, I would not even begin to do justice if I tried to go through these today. There just would be no time. We want to eat lunch at some point, right? But when Pastor Tim and I were talking on Monday, we realized, you know what, there's so much here that we're actually going to do a series this summer on um, kingdom culture. And we're going to take these and actually build them out more and talk about them to give some more time and, and, and specifics to them. But these are some of the things. Affecting the world for Christ. Not just affecting the world, but affecting it for Christ, right? Complete obedience. Love instead of hate. Covenant instead of adultery. Telling the truth and keeping your word. Going the extra mile. Loving your enemies. Honorable generosity. Praying continually for the will of God to be done. Forgiveness. Fasting. Investing into the kingdom. Trust instead of worry. It's not judgmental. Determined hearing, and doing. These are all aspects of what kingdom living is all about. Now, here's what I want you to look at. As you're looking at this list, what you have right here is what was going on between, uh, I was going to say the ears, but right up here in Jesus's mind. This is what was in his mind. This was his laser focus. You want to know, hey, how am I supposed to be kingdom focused? Here it is he laid it out. Now that seems like a lot and you're right. There's a lot to that. But the idea is that it is a completely counterculture way of doing things. Now, if we buy into this idea and build our life kingdom focused, I can guarantee you the pace of your life will change. Because when you do these things, priorities drastically change in your life. And you start to see things very, very different. So this is, this is Christ's mind. Now as you're looking at that list, <laughs> and this was really sobering when I was building these notes this week, how many of you could say, or how many, just ask yourself the question, how much of my life is kingdom focused? Just looking up here, how much of your life, how much of my life is that something for us to think about? If you don't take anything else away this, today from this message, what I want you to do is I want you to take this list and let this be your devotional list for the week. Praying through these. God, how am I doing in this? Is this really, can I really, truly, and honestly say that that's the way my life looks right now? Use this as a gauge to how your life is. Now, are you saying, that Jason, that I have to have all of these all the time and I have to be perfect in all of those? No, absolutely not. That is not the point. But the point is, this creates a really, really good blueprint with how we build out our life and our time. Okay? So there's that. The second thing. Jesus withdrew often and prayed. He withdrew often and prayed. Luke 5 says this really well. It says in verse 15, But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. The model for Jesus' ministry in his life was this engage, 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 withdraw, and pray. Engage, 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 withdraw, and pray. And notice that every time the Bible talks about withdrawing, it doesn't leave that without prayer. Jesus didn't withdraw and binge on Netflix, he didn't withdraw and play video games, he didn't withdraw and even read books, he didn't withdraw and surf social media. He withdrew, and he prayed. Why? That was his lifeline. Now, Jesus was God in human form, and if he had to do that, I don't stand a chance. <laughs> this is such an important part of our lives, yet this is the very thing that culture combats so many times. The idea that you're actually going to withdraw to pause from life and pray. Our well, culture doesn't like that very much. Bosses don't like that very much. You're, you're going you're to, you're, what's wrong with you? You're going to pull out? You're going to pull back? You're going to set boundaries in your life? Now, am I saying to just drop everything and leave? No, not at all. But in the context of your life, you have to do what Jesus did, which is to know when the seasons are to push, the seasons are to engage, and when the seasons are to say, okay, time out, time out, time out, time out. I'm out, I'm out. I got to go and I got to recharge because this is really, really, really important, right? Same thing is true for us. We need to take that same principle away. How often in your life do you withdraw and pair that with prayer? This is a great thing to think about and Jesus gave us an incredible example of it. The third thing is this. Jesus went at the pace of his father, Jesus didn't create his pace. Jesus didn't decide what he was going to do when. He was 100% submitted to his father in everything. This is what was really cool. Jesus not only would um, follow the instructions of his father, he would also follow the timing of his father. He would do things his father's way. He was, we don't like this word a lot, patient. Submitted to, that's a good one. Should I have Georgiana write my notes? That's just all there is to it. He was patient. We don't like that word. He was not in a hurry. He was submitted, there we go, to his father in what his father was saying to do. Now, the only reason that he was able to do that is because he withdrew and prayed. And he got his instructions from his father. He didn't do it just because he was a great guy. He did it because he understood the principle of stopping and saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do, and when do you want me to do it? The Bible story that illustrates this perfectly is Lazarus, right? Lazarus was a very close friend of Jesus's, yet what happened? Lazarus died and was dead for three days before Jesus came and rose him from the dead. It's really funny when you actually do the math about how far away Jesus was. Jesus was not three days away, but he did it on purpose. Why? Because his dad said, okay, hold on, hold on. I'm going to have you do this, and I'm going to have you do it this way because it's going to bring me glory. Jesus said, fine, fine by me. I'm in. Whatever you want, I'm in. So he locked in with the conductor and his timing. This was the thing. The fourth one is this. Jesus created space in his pace. I wish I could claim that, but I really can't. That was Ellie, so she's just, it's amazing. Jesus created space in his pace for close relationships. He created space. It was not. Jesus was not a loner. He wasn't out doing his own thing. He wasn't just figuring like, I can just handle all this kind of stuff. No, he knew the importance and the value of close relationships. Back to the orchestra analogy here for a second when you are all locked into the conductor and following the pace that the conductor sets, guess what a byproduct of that is? You're in sync with each other. And that's part of this beautiful symphony that God is doing is that he is saying, I want my people to be in sync with one another. I want my people to have each other's back. I want them to look out for each other. I don't want them to just show up on Sunday and see each other and say, say, bye, I'll see you in a week again. Like, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people that are devoted to each other, right? Because it shows that we're all in sync following him. This looks like weekend services, yes. Does it look like groups? Yes. But it also looks like pulling out your phone, texting someone, and seeing if they want to go out for dinner. Outside of a group. What a novel thought. I just, I, I can't wait for groups to start again. I've just missed everybody so much. Do you want to have dinner? Send. Boy, that was easy. He wants us involved in each other's life. Jesus had 12, and he had three. And these guys, this is is the reality of the way Jesus did it. Jesus did life with them. They were in each other's space all the time. For the three years that Jesus ministered, those guys were around him 24-7. And you know what? It wasn't just so that Jesus could pour into them and disciple them. It was also so that they could be in community with one another. Jesus understood, I'm God, and I need some community around me. I'm God, and I need people who we do this thing together. We do life together. And he understood the importance of it. The 12 also knew more than just the Instagram story of Jesus' life. I'm just going to throw that out. We have the Instagram story and the word of God. They were with him every second of every day. Now, am I saying that we all just need to join a commune and just be around each other all the time? You know, if God's telling you to do that, that's between you and God, right? But I am saying that in the culture we live in, we could take a couple steps towards that and be healthy. We don't have to live isolated lives. You know, this is the interesting thing about the disciples. They traded their isolated identities and their lives that were based off of them and what they were doing and what they were attaining. They gave all that up so that they could be with this guy that they were around 24-7 with and begin to do life with him. There is an importance to this, and Jesus recognized the importance of that. So, to conclude, these four things are not all-inclusive, right? This is not all-encompassing, but this does give us four ideas or four principles that we can take and apply to our life to help us understand how to align with him and how to live in a different pace. This is God's desire for you. God's desire is that you're not worn out, that you're not tired, that you're not exhausted, that you're not burned out, that you're not frustrated. This is not his will. His plan for you is peace. It's, It's a light load versus a heavy load, right? He has these amazing things for you, but he says, all you have to do is just follow me. Follow me. Follow the pace that I'm setting. Follow the pace that I'm setting. I hope that today has has just given you a, an, an entry point into this series and we're going to go a lot deeper in this in the next few weeks but um, like I, like I said this series is not going to be about um, finding a new way to do things it's not going to be about just kind of a self-help thing it's very much about just discovering God's pace what does God say how does God say to live life how does he say to do this How do you rest in a fast-paced, crazy culture like we live in in the United States? How do you pause? How do you back off? Like, I get it. Jesus, you said to do it. Now, how do I do it? Come back next week, and you will have installment two. (laughs) See what I did there? It's like cliffhanger ending, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Have Have you been encouraged a little bit today? Does this help you kind of think through pace of life a little bit, I hope? Um, uh, we, we have a lot of work to do. And I say we, by the fact that we, in the United States culture that we live in, we got a lot of work to do. And the cool thing is that God is right there to help us. He's not leaving us on our own. Yeah, you figure it out. Figure out how to go slow. Uh, What? He's right there and he's showing us how to do this. Thanks again for listening to this message. Do you know someone who'd be blessed by it? Make sure to share it with them this week.